Dotnet Rocks episode 866, recorded live Thursday, April 11th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatop, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey Vegas! It's .NET Rocks! And this after a hangover that would kill an elephant. You know, we've done three days of 8 a.m. keynotes in a row, and I think it's a mistake. I think we need to start a little bit later. Yeah, and this is great because this is, you know, in the afternoon, four o'clock or so. And the, you know, the first thing in the morning, as you say, you know, hey, good morning, everybody. And you get, uh. Well, especially by the third day where you're not only exhausted and hungover, but out of money. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyway, we're here at the State of the Cloud panel at Dev Intersection. And uh, for those of you who see the similarities between Dev Connections, everybody's asking the story. Um, basically, the people who started and co-ran uh, Dev Connections uh, split off with their parent company, and they all uh, started this conference, Dev Intersection. So the same great content and people that you know and love, just a new name. And with that, let us let the panelists introduce themselves, starting with you, sir. Good evening, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you may be. Uh, I'm, my name is Oyner Tejada. I'm the CEO of Salience, an architect focusing in cloud computing. My specialty is Windows Azure. Which is good. We're talking cloud. You also do a fair bit on the scaling side, too. So I figured Absolutely. we could argue Elastic about scaling. Scale. Let's have fun with that. Absolutely. Uh, next up, Mr. Yuval. Hello, Yuval Lowy. I'm the principal of iDesign. We specialize in architecture. My own area of expertise with the cloud is the service bus. And I just did the session on the service bus right here at Dev Intersection. I'm Brady Gaster. I work for the uh, Microsoft Windows Azure Evangelism team in Redmond. And I focus on Windows Azure websites. I love websites. <laughs> Are you sure about that? There's an inside joke there somewhere. Um, so you'll get it later. Uh, I'm Michelle Rubis-Damonte. Uh, I'm a, a managing partner at Salience, and we do architecture consulting, and we call startups as a service as well. Spend a lot of time with startups in the cloud, helping them, you know, get moved up there, and uh, have my own startup called Snapboard as well. Well, great. So I, I love doing this talk. We do this just about every year. And uh, it always seems to be a different conversation because the state of the cloud changes and the state of the, the services that are offered and the platforms and all of that. So, uh, you know, we're, we're here to ask you your opinion. What, is, what has changed in the last year? Uh, I think the perception of what's valuable in cloud, right? I think everyone started off with the perception that the most important thing about cloud was price. And that's something that vendors love to push. But what we're seeing more and more with our customers is it's the agility that the cloud gives you. You know, the ability to leverage cloud bursting as an example and take your load out to the cloud is what 
customers are looking for. So when you say agility, you just mean scalability? No, agility, for instance, yeah, I do mean scalability in one way, but it's agility in being able to add to your on-premises topology and grow that into the cloud in being a cloud-bursting able to make fashion. changes quickly and that kind of... Exactly. Pull it up, put it quick. It is scale up, scale down, but also tear it down entirely. And, and again, it's just, are you talking just public-facing stuff, websites, that sort of thing? Um, or enterprise. Yeah. Okay. Guys, what's your favorite new thing in the past year about cloud? Michelle? You've been Sorry, doing all that startup stuff. <laughs> Have you got your glasses? You want to know what uh, what's changed in the last year? Is yeah. That still the question? Yeah, absolutely. It's still the question. Um, I'm sorry. Brady was interrupting my thoughts. That's, you know, he was writing me notes. If I have to come over there, I will. I know. <laughs> you let me know. Um, so a lot has changed. I think in general, you know, startups find an easier time going to the cloud than uh, established companies just because they have less risk, right? In fact, um, if you're a startup, of course, for you, it's really cheap to go to the cloud, right? It's, you know, I can build something, I can get it up there practically free, I can play with it, I can get feedback on it from customers, I can integrate all these free SaaS products to find out, you know, whether or not people are converting on my site, whether they're clicking things, where they're clicking things, uh, get user feedback, all these things can be done practically free, so it's a really good time. Um, but, uh, you know, for companies, the, the growth pattern has been that now they're more willing to go to the cloud. The thing that I find interesting, though, given that one of my miners here is uh, security and identity, is when you put software in the cloud and you need an identity provider to do things like, uh, you know, authentication or fake authentication through uh, Twitter. It's not really authentication, but, you know, the social identities. Um, people don't tend to want to trust a third party unless it's a well-established one to do that offloading of that piece of functionality. So it's like there's a limit to what your trust is when you go to the cloud. You trust your own stuff in the cloud now, but you don't always trust having another third party integrated with your stuff as well. Does that make sense? And I'm really wrestling with this the secondary authorization models that people are finding very hip. You know, the you hear the uh, apocryphal story of the guy who gets his Facebook account banned for no reason and suddenly half the services he uses are no longer available to him because he can't log in via Facebook anymore. Well, there should be a backdrop for that, right? There should always be a, you know, login username password accompanied by social login. And I would argue if you're a company trying to reach the masses, like a consumer product, you want social login to make it easy to sign up because that's awesome. But you want username and password because there's a whole ton of people out there that don't want to use social login. And that gives you your backdrop. That gives you your fail you know, your back door to get in. Yeah, I guess the question is, is there a recovery mode if you've originally logged in as Facebook and now you can't do that anymore? Can I get back to that account through another right. channel? Uh, you, you, can, you can call them or you can have a link on your site that says, help me, right? Right. I can't wait till we say call and get all confused as what that is. I'm getting people staring at me funny when I say, I could fax that to you. Right. You know, these, these terms are going away bit by bit. Uh, Brady, I'm so glad you're on uh, because we need a, a Microsoft employee to beat up. And so thank you for that. That was very that was good of you. <laughs> no problem, uh, man. For, you're actually in the Azure team? Uh, no, I work in the evangelism team. Evangelism team. Mm -hmm. But you, mm -hmm. certainly Azure is a, as a focus for you. Exactly. You did, you did some talks around that. Right. So, I mean, of anyone, I imagine you've got a pretty clear picture of what's happened in the past year around Azure anyway. Yep. Um, and I was thinking about how to answer this question when you first asked it. Uh, for me... 
uh, I, I was relatively new to cloud. Uh, when I came to Microsoft, uh, I had not played a lot with different cloud providers. I was sort of a noob with it. And what I've seen over the last year, at least from Azure, is that we've not only made it easier and we've started listening to the community, but we've also opened ourselves up quite a bit. Uh, if you haven't noticed, Microsoft's done a lot more open source stuff recently. We've adopted Node. Uh, you can run PHP on websites. I don't think anybody ever thought that was going to happen. Right. And what's been nice is, you know, you don't have to go through the rigmarole of, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone. You can just build a site and deploy it with websites. And then at the same time with the, with the mobile services stuff, we've really adopted all the different mobile platforms that are out there and we make it easier for you to get up and running with the cloud backend. And I think that's been really exciting for the last year. I think we've made it a lot easier for people to onboard on the Azure than it was prior. You didn't have to learn a whole new framework. Yeah, I feel like web roles may be dead. The web role, worker role. Like, now that you have websites, why would I ever use web role? Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, speaking personally, uh, websites is my favorite thing on Azure. Sure. Um, I did web roles for a little while, and I've seen people do things like fire up Node.exe in their web role or have to tweak something to get, you know, insert platform name here running. With websites, it's push and gut. You know, you can have a website up in 20 seconds by dragging a folder, you know, dragging your code into your Dropbox folder, and it's hot. Can, can we briefly talk a little bit more about what an ASP.NET website is versus a web role and a worker role? I mean, we're sort of talking about it now, but just a, a little overview would be great. Sure. Um, at the base level, if you look at the different stuff that you've got with a web role, a web role and a worker role in Azure, it's it's got that cloud context. It's got that cloud role context. Um, uh, and with a, with a website, you don't. Uh, the, the, the cloud context is sort of sort of obfuscated and sort of hidden. And that okay. was deliberate. We wanted to take that difficulty out of it. Um, I know that when I started going to Azure, a friend of mine from the uh, East region was actually trying to get me to play with it. And I kept saying, well, I like the way I work. I don't want to change the way I work. I don't want to have to learn this stuff because it's really just going to slow down my development time. So when I first discovered websites, when we you know started working on it, that seemed to me to be the missing piece that Azure needed. And it's been fun to watch it evolve. So it's more like a, just you're working on an IIS site where you have a folder and you just put files in there and things work. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, the whole argument toward pro-web role mm -hmm. is this was the approach that guaranteed scalability, that right. you would fall into the pit of scalable success. Right. Uh, not that I've actually seen anyone really booby-trap themselves with websites yet, but I imagine I could build a website in a way that, yeah, this, if you add more sites, it's oh, just totally. not going to work. I mean, right now, just, just today, we did a talk on, uh, scaling with Windows Azure websites. And, uh, a buddy of mine joked, he said, that's kind of a 30 second talk. You just slide the slider. And that's pretty much exactly the way it is. You just, you, if, if you want to have your site, you know, scaled out, you just slide the slider and you're off and running. With a web role, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, you can still slide the slider and whatnot, but I've never seen a shared hosting environment that's as easy to get multiple servers up and running. You don't have to go through a procurement process. You don't have to contact your CTO. You don't have to contact your COO. It's just, you know, you're up and running. And for the Visual Studio developer, the, the, we have hooks into that? Uh, absolutely. You can right-click publish. Just right-click right, publish. Know, yeah, that's all you got to do is right-click publish. You import your publish settings file that you download from the uh, portal, which is basically just a big XML file, and you're off. So it's nice. Uh, Web Rolls does that too, though. Right-click publish. Just saying. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's 30 seconds versus... It's you, you wait, you wait seven minutes. You can go get a coffee, come back, it'll be done. Whereas the other one, you can watch it. Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. There are things you can't do on websites still. I, I think Microsoft could kill WebRoll 
by offering things that are missing on, on, we on websites today. And I, I have grown accustomed to the idea that I might in the future not do a web role, even though I am really having a hard time with that. <laughs> I really like the web role. I like that headless deployment model. I like the concept that I can call somebody on my team, which really happened. And while I'm between planes, tell them, go into Visual Studio, get the latest, right-click, publish, choose this profile, and boom, done. Right. And literally, the hardest part of that whole process was me remembering my fucking password. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, because he couldn't get in unless right. I could remember my password. And I'm like, oh my god, I have to get on the plane. What is that damn thing? So, but here's the thing. There's things that I, I need in certain products, not all, where I have to go with the web role, like uh, certificate and privileges over certificates, like an STS, mm -hmm. or things like um, uh, domains, dynamically allocating domains for your customers. So if you have a multi-tenant application and you're going to have like customer ABC dot your domain, because um, that's all dynamic. If it, you can do it dynamically, but you can't do that with a website. Um, I don't think you can because you have to provision it in the in the. You can set up an A record and then. I, I don't, I don't know. We should talk about that. I'd love to know that you could, but honestly, I, everybody else says no, you can't. Yeah, and you're touching on a really yeah. interesting point, Michelle, yeah. which is that people are confused about what yeah, Azure they're can confused. do. Yeah. Even folks that are using it are still confused, much mm -hmm. less the folks that are just evaluating. Well, in one by one, when I bring up these things, Zoyner and I have been through this, where I'll be like, but what about this? And he'll go, actually, no, you can do that now on websites. Damn it. <laughs> okay, what about this? And oh, no, and now you just did it to me again. Thank you very much, Brady. Love you. Well, I, let, me, <laughs> let me do it a second time. But that's good, right? Yeah. Like, it's okay. One by one, there are things that are slamming down the web roll. Right. So, well, let know. me do it a second time. Yeah. Um, if you're in studio and you do the right-click publish, one of the things he mentioned is profiles. Yeah. You can actually set up, and this is a question that I've had a lot in the community, um, I'm not coding out of my garage. I'm not just going to code and push my production website. I've got a dev environment, a staging environment, a production right. environment. How do I do that in websites? Well, there's a bunch of different ways. One of them is Git branches. Another one of those is TFS branches. And if you're talking about the right-click publish thing, you can actually import multiple publish settings files, or publishing profiles as we call them, into Visual Studio. And when you do your deployment, you can pick, do I want to go to dev, staging, or front. Yeah. So you can actually do that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I knew. That was okay. I, I already got used to that idea. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I'll be okay. Well, you've all shockingly quiet, and I think it's because we've been talking about websites, and he's more of an enterprise guy, and you've already done a talk on service bus, I got it. Right, and, and the, the thing that has changed the most for me over the past year is the availability of the service bus intranet. You can take all the goodness of the service bus and deploy it in-house, no need to pay Azure accounts, or if you even know Azure actually exists. Right. And while this has the advantages I discover, I discussed in my session, such as to using the service bus, to me it indicates something much more fundamental. And that is, if you look at Microsoft's approach since they unveiled Azure till, say, about a year ago, it was the typical elephant in a Chinese uh, uh, porcelain store, which is Here's the best thing, you all must move, move now, and, and this is the next big thing. What? .NET never heard about it, right? Approach, right? Right. And something changed in Redmond, maybe some maturity, they realize this is going to take time, this is going to be a journey, and probably the easiest way of make, making customers and companies move to the cloud is not trying to bully them into doing it, but making it easier to do it. Right? Which is a different strategy than what they've been doing so far. Mm -hmm. And to me, the availability of the service bus intranet is simply a, a big piece of that puzzle because it makes using the service bus easier and almost transparent. 
And it's almost like a shoehorn because if there's complete parity between Windows Server and the service bus, at some point, press the button and move to the cloud. Why not right. move to the cloud? And so to me, it's, we're going to see, I'm speculating here, but I believe we're going to see a lot more of this support from Microsoft, which is taking stuff that were traditionally just Azure, making it part of Windows Server in the intranet. Here it is. It's easy to use it in the intranet, security-wise, deployment-wise, roles-wise, virtualization, whatever it is. It's going to be so easy in your application. Whoever heard about Azure migrating you first in the intranet for the programming model, for the architecture, and then one day, magic happens, you move to the cloud. Right. Well, I think that's one of the problems I always had with the web role, worker role set was I could run it on my dev machine, and then after that, I had to go to the public cloud. I had to go to Azure to use it. And now with websites, I run it on my dev machine, I run it on my local web server, I run it in the cloud. And you're saying the same things now happen to the service bus. The same thing that happens to the bus, you're going to sit also with federation, with security, with mm -hmm. identities. All the key pieces of the cloud are going to find their way into traditional enterprise environment. And, I mean, I'm, I'm just totally speculating here. I don't know anything about what the Microsofters are saying about it. I'm just pure speculation. So don't say you've all said, okay? Because I'm not saying I'm speculating. I expect in a future version of Windows Server or IES, that as you create your websites or your applications, it's going to be a button that's going to be initially disabled. But as you start using more of these intranet cloud pieces, one day it's going to become enabled and it's going to say deploy to cloud. In fact, we did static analysis of your site, of your application. We don't see anything that prevent, prevents it from moving to the cloud. In fact, we already deployed it to the cloud. It's running there in a staging environment. Take a look. Six months hosting for free or whatever. Press the button and move to the cloud. If they make it as easy as possible, instead of trying to bully people into doing it, that's how people are going to move to the cloud. And for that, they're going to have to have perfect parity with the features and making it easier. And it's not just with the technology. Uh, moving to Azure involves a fundamental change in the way you construct the design and the architecture. You have to start using queues and you have to talk about eventual consistency with transactions, things which are not natural for the classic enterprise developer. If you start adopting it in the enterprise as well, eventually moving to the cloud is going to be a lot easier. So the jump to the cloud is somewhat more transparent. And Brady, you're going to confirm all that? That's shipping next year? <laughs> He's not denying it. Oh, kill. <laughs> I'm just going to give you the typical Microsoft answer and just stare at you. That, that, that works really well on a, on a radio show, too. Thanks for that. Uh, I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I, I, I just don't know. Because, you know, we all have our different focus areas. I do work with Service Bus a little bit. My suggestion would be call Clemens. <laughs> yeah, that's often an answer to questions, yeah, Paul Clemens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I like to step back on, on this discussion a little bit because it's there's there's a, a gamut that, that exists here on Azure today, right? You have infrastructure as a service offerings, platform as a service offerings, and websites, I like to say, are kind of past plus plus, right? They're the next level of abstraction from the hardware, from the bare metal, right? And when it comes to enterprises or organizations that are run, maybe that are small shops, it's completely different what their motivations are in moving to the cloud. For example, we have customers that are in the scientific community that, you know, doing cancer research are very motivated to move to Azure because of the past aspect of it. They have one IT pro and like 10 developers. So they're totally stoked about DevOps, right? They Anything they can manage with patching. Code. They do not want to do patching, period, end of story, right? But then you have customers on the other end of the spectrum that are like, look, we have this entire network topology that we've deployed in-house. 
it would be insane for us to rewrite that mm-hmm. so that it fits into the web role, worker role mold and even use virtual networks, right? So give us the IaaS solution and they're comfortable deploying that and their IT pros just switch hats. They manage metal instead of metal, they manage, you know, bits in the cloud. Well, and even the true virtual machine option in Azure is relatively new. I don't think it's actually the past year, but it's not much more than that. Correct. Right. Yeah. I think the product that we were shown first by Microsoft, which is that web role, worker role model, I think scared a certain number of people. Bit by bit, they've added in the other pieces, both downscale. No, but if they're doing, if they're doing platform as a service to me, virtual world is shooting himself in the foot. It's allowing more people to hang themselves and getting away from the final objective, which is platform as a service and redesign of the application and such. That's just just hosting it in a virtual environment is sort of the minimum return you possibly get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at Lear's, I can tell AWS has built a pretty good business on, you know, running VMs check, for you. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. They're still the biggest. It's hard to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, the other thing I would say, too, is, you know, my whole argument about cloud services versus websites started worth with, you know, I start with cloud services and then I might consider websites. Now I've switched it to the other direction, which is I would look at websites first because it clearly is building momentum on features and that's probably the direction. But now my question instead is, here's my list of things that I started going through that are not supported yet on websites. So if I need that today, I have to go to a web role because I don't want to go to IaaS. If I wanted to go to IaaS, I mean, you know, then I might as well be managing the whole operations. And that's the thing that I know most startups don't have time for. And a lot of businesses, I might argue, could be putting those IT resources to better things, you know? Yeah, I do feel like it's become more acceptable to talk about the fact that we don't have 24-7 staffing of te- tech support and machine maintenance and that that's actually a feature we want from the cloud. Mm-hmm. Has the liability issue changed in the last year? In other words, you know, the, I hear this all the time. We'd like to go to the cloud, but, you know, our data has to exist in this country and it can't <clears throat> exist outside of the country or whatever. We, and when you have stuff out there in the cloud, you have no idea where it is. Right. We, we do have that problem in a couple of circumstances, uh, just to give you an idea. Uh, and I can answer that question from two perspectives. Uh, one of those is I recently went up to Vancouver and gave a webcamp, and we were showing you know all these different ASP.NET technologies and you know obviously some website stuff because the two go together like chocolate and peanut butter. So I was showing them all that stuff, and they said, you know, we really want to use that. But some guy came up and he said, I'd love to use that, but I work for the Canadian government, and we have a very hard and fast rule that we can't. Even if it's cloud, we have to have the data center here in Canada. So there are some places where they 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 have that they have that problem. You can so, solve that problem though by not working for the Canadian government. I think true, true. <laughs> there's there's that, but I mean, he probably digs his job and whatnot. But then, if you also think about uh, uh, one of our MVPs uh, uh, recently did a talk where he talks about an application that he built. It's a very large application uh, for a pretty large customer. And one of his requirements was, was, was PCI. And I said, well, you know, certain things aren't always going to be certified. Like, how are you going through this process? Right. And he PCI kind of ex- is the credit card certification right. yeah. process. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and payment card he was actually, initiative, something like that. Right. And he was actually going through the certification process. He'd come up with an, he'd come up with an architecture where the data wasn't ever stored in the cloud, which is kind of the, kind of the problem. Um, and it was just going through and coming back down. So hopefully that would be ratified at some point. That'd be pretty exciting because then that kind of pushes that over and we got HIPAA compliance in a couple of places. So I think that things are things are definitely changing. Uh, Magnus Martinson from Sweden at one point actually told me, you know, Sweden just approved uh, Windows Azure to be able to store like customer data or, you know, patient data or something like that. And you see those walls falling down 
all the time. It, it sounds I think less it like we're actually building new features and more like we've gone through the validation processes. The average company does not want to try and figure that out themselves. Right. And, they want and, somebody else to figure it out so right. that they're inside compliant. Right. And not only that, but the average company, like I said today during one of the other talks, they are, they're dipping their toe into the pool. They're like, I want to get part of my application into the cloud and I don't want to get you know, like my data or this or that into the cloud, how do I do that? And I would throw that on this guy because he's the big service bus guy. Well, you can use service bus for that. You can use queues. You can basically have your on-prem application listening. And a lot of people on Microsoft call that a hybrid scenario. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really, really easy to do. So so you have your website that sends all your data back to your on-prem environment. Now you've solved both problems. So you really just half move to the cloud. And I would argue that the, the half that could benefit the most from the cloud maybe being there, which is the web half. Right. A lot of companies um, so add features that way too. They extend their apps, maybe start doing something related to media or, you know, heavy amounts of content and storage. And what they do is they put that non, it's, it's supporting data, you know, and they push that out to the cloud because storage is so cheap and they keep everything else on prem right. for now because they're sort of just trying it out. And I can remember one customer a couple of years ago that they had issues because their IT department uh, wouldn't allow them to actually, they, they needed to go through literally like a several month process just to get something provisioned. Yeah, so they went to the fast. cloud to bypass their IT yeah. Yeah. so that they could get yeah. features out there and working for their field, right. like literally. And and that was awesome, that's, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually uh, a great driver for moving to the cloud. It's right. getting around IT limitations. Right. But that, that actually brings another set of questions for the cloud, which is, our judicial system, the rules, the expectation about privacies, all these things are yesterday's rules and expectations. And the cloud is so new that the system hasn't evolved at all to deal with it. For example, you mentioned that data can't move, uh, say, Sweden or what lives, or Canada. But you know, if they're sending email inside the Canadian government, it's actually going through a US email server in the first place, and, but that's okay, right? But uh, storing that data in the cloud is probably not okay. It reminds me of the story that when cars first came about, there were certain uh, rules about driving uh, carriage and horses. People tried to apply those to cars, like certain speed limits and such, right? And those rules simply weren't applicable, right? And so at some point, we're going to have to take a long, hard look at our expectation of distribution and privacy and ownership of data and see how the cloud fits that or those rules are going to have to change. Yeah. I worked on a project about two years ago where we were checking the rules around email and we found two countries that required email to reside. If it was origin in the country, it had to reside in the country. And that right. was just, that's where the mailboxes live. We all right. know it travels out. And those two countries were China and Luxembourg. And you can think about what that means. Yeah, well, ba banking secrecy and, and dictatorship, right? It's very simple. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He said it, not me. <laughs> you know, something else that recently, I, w I was doing a, uh, a, 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 having a conversation with some people and we were discussing some of the different numbers around, you know, cloud and the investment in cloud and blah, blah, blah. And I was putting together some stats to just kind of talk about it, more of a soft talk. And one of the numbers that really blew my mind is the percentage of dollars spent in the U.S. and the U.K. over the last five years uh, in terms of infrastructure and maintenance costs, just server upkeep. You guys have any, any idea what that number was? 74%. Now imagine if you could take 74% of the money that you spend in your IT department and redirect that to innovation. How much better off do you think you'd be? Yeah, I, don't, I, I wouldn't go all out. Give me half. Right. Half would make me happy. Right. 
Here's the thing, you spend a little time figuring out how to configure the app properly to put it in the cloud, how mm -hmm. to architect it using the right features of the cloud, and then, you know, how to rig it with diagnostics, which is super important, mm -hmm. how to monitor it, how to get alerts, which is also, turns out you have to monitor it if you want to know there's an error. Mm -hmm. So, you know, watching for those things. Once you get that worked out, you're past the hump, yep. because now it's all just automatic, yep. right? So getting there is a little bit of effort up front, yep. but really just a little bit, because you'd have to do that anyway if you hosted it in your own prem. And, and see, my contingent right. on that would be, you, I mean, something that uh, uh, Dave Chappell said years ago. He said a good developer, the first thing they do, they, they, they get their new IDE, and they go and they hit you know tools, options, and they change all the defaults. He said a good developer should always be resetting their defaults, and the cloud is just the next wave of that. It's like .NET came out however many years ago. You had to change the way you thought. Request.form died. You know, now your server died. Um, and it's just, you always have to be looking at new stuff. First time I thought, saw Service Bus, I thought I was going to keel over. Now <laughs> I love Service Bus. It's super fun to use. So, you know, you should always try new stuff. And right now, the new thing that you should be trying is the cloud. Well, and speaking of Service Bus, I want to back up a little bit there, Brady, because I think you said something. I feel fairly outrageous that uh, hybrid solutions are easy. Mm -hmm. It would strike me that greenfield solutions are the easiest and that hybrid, I mean, as soon as you're trying to combine disparate infrastructures, that's pretty tough. You know, if that's, if hybrid's easy, what's hard? What's hard? Uh, keeping up servers. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to do that with a hybrid. It's like I've got the worst of both worlds. Right, that's true. The most that's failure modes available to me. That's true, that's true. I mean, really, uh, from my experience, the, the, the hard part is learning the new implementation. You can do that in a couple of days. You can really dive into Service Bus, figure out what you need to do to get your app built. I mean, like you said, you really need to learn all the monitoring and all the diagnostics and all that, and that's definitely important. But you can start to take those baby steps and start to figure out what your solution is going to look like. You know, just today I saw Zoiner's talk on Wasabi. had all kinds of ideas. I hadn't seen it explained that well and start thinking, oh, man, I, I, I need to play with that a little bit more, but now I've got to use web browsing. So it was a couple of years ago when we started these cloud panels and we were talking about, you know, outages and what we can expect. Have, I mean, this already this year, there's been several outages. Dropbox went down, I think, January 10th mm -hmm. for like 15 hours. Azure was down. I don't know about AWS, but... Uh, Netflix. Netflix, yeah. right? right? So you remember, uh, you know, and it c comes back to, I remember in the 2000s somewhere, Microsoft was all about five nines of reliability, you know, mm -hmm. and okay. you, just, you just don't have that with the internet. But here's the thing. You could be down... I mean, you could have hosted that yourself and been down. Yeah. We, we had servers when, when there was no cloud and we had to pay to host and have yeah. our infrastructure. Yeah. And we put them in California and people said, well, don't you have redundant sites? You should be in New York. You know what happened the next month? They had that blackout. Yeah. Right. So we would have been down. Right. Yeah. We actually moved .NET Rocks to the cloud because we were having so many problems with our local ISP going down. And then, uh, and, you know, luckily we haven't had all that many outages to worry right. about, but, but yeah, redundancy is, is a huge deal when right. you're talking about the, when you're talking so, about so cloud. You can actually speculate where this is going. Today the cloud is each vendor, be it Microsoft, Amazon, have their data center or data centers. And when there is a failure, it's catastrophic. The cloud is down. I mean, it, it, it's completely <laughs> the disproportionate. The internet is broken. You know, a tree falls somewhere on a cable line, and then the whole thing is down. The prospect of this technology is ultimately to have cloud of clouds. 
Instead of having just giant data center, have lots of little things connected seamlessly together so that failure any one node doesn't break down the whole thing and you seamlessly fall over from one to the next. Yep. That's ultimately where this is going, right? Yep. yep, and I've seen customers do that. They'll they'll take their application. I mean, if you look at all the cloud providers, all of them do this, all of them do that. Um, you can, if you're really, really concerned about that, you can deploy the same solution to two clouds. Right. You know, the probability that both clouds are going to go down Quite frankly, if, if two huge cloud providers go down, you probably have more to worry about than your website not running. It's probably the <laughs> volcano that just blew up the West Coast. Yeah. So, or just <laughs> oh my God, it's North Korea. <laughs> I mean, instead of going to another provider, I would argue it's just as good to say, look, I'm going to have two Azure complete yep. separate geographical right. regions. And that would be easy to do and less costly than the proposition back in 2000 mm -hmm. when we were paying for big iron, yeah. you know? And, and running a pair of data centers. Right. Yeah, it's like somebody somebody said something on Twitter. It, it, it was kind of funny, you know. We had a small outage, and there was some there were some negative, you know, tweets that came out, and then there were a lot of positive tweets that came out. And one of them that came out that I thought was really good was actually written by a really awesome software developer that I know. And he said, you know, this is bad, and my business, you know, kind of took a hit for the last four hours. But I know that if I had done it myself, it would have been a lot more than eight hours over the last three hundred and sixty-five days. Sure. And, yeah, and before you start criticizing the uptime of the cloud, keep as good a records of your own infrastructure. Right, right. You know, the main reason my stuff's not down as much is I don't write down when it's down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that actually, the dovetail in the, this conversation, right, multi-cloud is a very big trend in the industry right now. But right, we, right? And you have vendors. We're still fighting with the open cloud initiative, kind of, can we come up with specs that will be cooperative? Well, open cloud, different story, right? Mm -hmm. Open cloud is more about the private cloud. And can you build a cloud that you can as easily run on-prem as you can run in any cloud host? Yeah, provider? which we're not there yet. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying multi-cloud in, in the spirit of what was being discussed here, sure. which is to say, I have my stuff deployed on Azure and equally well deployed on Amazon. And, you know, there's failover between them, right? Sure. And they're basically vendors that are providing that as services today that right. are doing a pretty good job yeah. with that. I, I as it stands today. And, and it, well, I mean, Netflix did have an outage, but Netflix was also, when there was, I think, a big w AWS outage, the one thing that wasn't out was Netflix. Like, clearly, they've done something right there. Right, yeah. right. And not only that, there was a company, um, I think it was called AppFog, um, and, and one of the last uh, changes that they made in the service, they actually have a button in their, in their GUI called Clone. And the clone button will take your app out of AWS and copy it to Azure or vice versa. So at any point, if, if, if you want to go to the other one, you can actually click a button and they're basically an obfuscation layer. And there are a lot of companies like that now that are basically like you pay them and they just put it somewhere and they pay, you know, they pay their own bill. It's pretty astronomical, but you only have to pay them and it doesn't really even matter. I mean, at, at that point, you're completely vendor agnostic. So. I would argue that you should always be prepared to if assume your whole site is down, your database disappears. And as a company, if it's mission critical data application, know how fast can I deploy another one? Mm -hmm. How fast can I spin up another entire deployment of this whole thing and get that down to, if you can, a single double click icon somewhere yeah, sure. where you give them some settings and go. Now, obviously that's effort. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to do that day one when you're a startup and it's probably going to happen the first time something fails mm -hmm. or because you've already got lots and lots of customers that are going to be really, really pissed off if you don't do it, right? And so it's all about motivation, but you could get it to that point, mm -hmm. right? And that would sort of back up that other idea, right? Which is 
because you could switch clouds too. You could yeah. figure out how do I host this on Amazon just in case. Yeah. Or double pub. Yeah. yeah. And and then and then also there's all these things like Chaos Monkey. You know, like if you want to test your system, unleash the Chaos Monkey. Yeah, the Netflix gonna, approach. Right. You're going to find out just how many holes your system has. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a really valuable approach. Just destroy your own system from the inside using the Chaos Monkey. Just let the uh, providers know you're doing it. Yeah. Exactly. First. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what you wouldn't you do that in production. Wrong. That's your staging environment or your chaos monkey environment. <laughs> yeah, you, you you do need to be careful with that tool if you oh, yeah. cause some disruption. I, are we being fair here? We have only talked about Azure and AWS. What are the other providers that you're even looking at? I mean, Google's got some stuff going on. There's the Rackspace guys. Anybody else? Or can you dig into those a bit more? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, the, the big ones that I see right now, obviously Amazon's a big player. Yep, but their one. past story is not quite as strong as mm -hmm. Azure. Right. Google Compute Engine, it's, you know, it's been touted in the media as, you know, the number two competitor. Like they don't even list Azure. They say, oh, it's, you know, Amazon and then Google Compute Engine. But there's, you know, a line a mile long to get in. And if you're not a VIP, you're not getting Google Compute Engine. So that's right. not really a real world solution. You can't buy it if you want it right now. And it's, it's functioning in a, in a, in a method that's very similar to virtual machines on Azure today. Okay. And, and the pricing is almost par for par. It's like the, the, dis, the point of distinction between the cloud vendors today is not really priced. They okay. tend to match each other in the race to the bottom. Nice. Uh, I think the Rackspace guys are doing interesting things too. Is sort of a non-vendor specific cloud yeah. Im implementation. Right. right. And then there's another company that uh, one of the guys at OrxWeb created called Vastnet. And, and his idea was really interesting. Um, he had this idea of, like, let's say you have a demo that you want to do for a customer, and you want to, like, install your app and show the demo or show it to them online. He actually had this idea of coming up with, he's got hundreds of different images, sort of like, you know, the VMs in, in, in Azure. Mm -hmm. And he could basically spin it up, and he would charge you by the minute. Mm -hmm. And it was like a cent a minute. So you could actually do, like, a huge dog and pony show and then disassemble your VM, and it's not even there anymore. Totally different approach because it's all IaaS. But, you know, there's a lot of little companies like that doing stuff. App Harbor was killing it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're pretty cool. Um, but I hated their logo and their slogan. But other than that, they were great. <laughs> so, uh, App, it sounds like App Harbor is struggling these days. And, yeah, they are. and Heroku is still slugging away. I, I appreciate that those are much more developer-oriented products to get to the cloud. Right, right. Are there others? Am I missing you know what? Any? Salesforce is kind of interesting. Yeah, you're right. We've missed a big name. Big there, haven't we? And and what what's interesting too is if you think about how I mean this is so silly, but access, right? Like I mean, my dad used to build apps with access. He's not a developer at all, and right. he rocked that stuff. And you know, access, you know, development, and it's. It, it's just not there anymore, right? We don't have an equivalent. Are you and calling you can Salesforce actually go to Salesforce and build full-blown, you know, two-tiered, form-entry type applications, custom entities, relations, et cetera, and it's replaced all of that feature. So, like, but you can go even further than that, right? I'm just saying it's interesting that that simple type of app is right there, ready to go. And, and yet it is scalable to the infinite degree because uh -huh. all that force uh, thing is, is, is in between, right? Mm -hmm. So you get the programming model of old VB forms over over an access database. They have a very interesting model. I mean, it's really, Absolutely. truly, truly powerful. But you have to specialize in it to be any good at building on that. So it's like anything else, you know, spending time on web roles versus websites or 
or, you know, learning Amazon's ways or learning Salesforce ways. You just have to dig in. And Salesforce has a lot of past features, like yeah. beyond what, what we do in websites. It's mm -hmm. more like even building the pieces of the blocks of your app. Well, in some respects, I would consider Salesforce more honest that there is no infrastructure as a service option from them. You either use our platform true. or our app. That's true. Or go away. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But but unlike the other vendors, they're happy to charge you for that privilege. Sure. They're, right. they're not competing in that race to the bottom in pricing. No, they, they, I think they've got a particular specialty. And I, I've met a set of folks here that are being very successful at Force.com. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and they're not forgiving about price at all. And they don't feel like they need to help you at all when you call. Because <laughs> pretty much you either want to use us or you don't. I don't care. Like, right. it's the attitude. It's not a very nice attitude, actually. Huh. He Interesting. Tell your dad to look at light switch. You probably dig that. Yeah, he would dig light switch. He would dig light switch. Okay, I'll give him a call. Yeah. Where's my phone? <laughs> so, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread, but now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component1. Smarter components for smarter developers. <laughs> we have a question from a man in gold pants. Awesome. All right, Michelle, you brought up force, and that reminded me of something that I've been meaning to ask, which is I think one of the strengths of that platform is that they have built into it a way for the person who's building their application to ask for money from their customers. It's yes, baked they right have e in. e-commerce built in. And Azure has none of that. The others don't have any of that, to my knowledge. And... Um, so I don't care how much they're reaching in my pocket. If I can reach into somebody else's pocket to pay force, why isn't Azure and everybody else giving me that? There are compliance issues, I think, with storing the credit cards. We just talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Force got around them. What are, yeah, what, there are ways difference? around it. I just think it's not built in right now. And, and right it. now, Azure is not compliant for that, right? We right. can't. Right. Well, this is the big opportunity that I think is being missed to really avoid that race to the bottom that you were talking about. I mean, there's an interesting piece to that, which is that everybody's doing billing. I know I get bills. They, what I, I think what Ward's bringing up uh, uh, that Force has done is that they've, they're allowing you to bill someone else for your account. Right. But it's so easy to do that. You can get some of the Intuit payment modules or what I mean there's there's tools for that, right? So well, I would I, just I would just I'd rather almost not be responsible for that and have a third party that specializes in protecting that type of data handle that for me. I, mean, I yep. can barely handle my own finances. I don't want to have to handle yours too, you know. I mean <laughs> just speaking personally. Yeah. But but I, I I as the customer do not want to handle that, but I'm perfectly happy to let you, you as right. the platform vendor do that for right. me. Right. I would add that there is something of a place like that that Microsoft has addressed, and that's the Azure Marketplace. Right. So there is some way to get money from your customers also, uh, building on Azure. It's more of a, a third-party thing with Azure, right? Because yep. there's, so many, there's so many companies that do that that plug in. Mm -hmm. I think it's what Michelle was trying to say, that if you were, you certainly wouldn't be forced into it, but right. you know, if you were given that option, maybe... You know, now Microsoft has problems with its partners who are right. doing that. I mean, it would be great if we had a partner that would do the, the, had all the compliances and everything, but then you also have to remember 
We have data centers all over the world. We're not just talking about dealing with U.S. you know certifications. We're talking about dealing with everybody's certifications. Right. And when you start doing that, that's that's a little bit more. So I would, I would also skin. point out, Brady, Microsoft has been very capable of rolling out cool new features mm -hmm. to U.S. only and mm -hmm. forgetting about the rest of the world. Right. I've heard so, that complaint. Yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're real good at that. Yeah. Ask me, ask the Canadian how he knows. Right, right. So, you know, there's certainly an opportunity there to take that out for a spin and then go back and do your internationalization later. Right, right. That's true. But, you know, there, true. there's a whole argument as to what makes a platform successful, mm -hmm. right? And the most successful platform to date is actually VB, the old VB. Mm -hmm. And the reason it was so successful besides the ease of use and the other things, it was a whole ecosystem of vendors that build these really cool controls. Yeah. We'll do sophisticated things. You don't have to know C++ or threading or anything. They would just drop that on the form and magic would happen, right? And then that lowered the bar to the point that Michelle's dad could do some simple application and do some really powerful things. And in the cloud, we still haven't had that ecosystem develop at all. There's the big players, the big Amazons and Microsoft and such, but where's the ecosystem of all the other guys? That doesn't exist yet. And I don't think that we're going to see mass adoption of cloud until that ecosystem is in place. I do think we see the ingredients of it in the Azure marketplace, but it's very pretty early days. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So guys, uh, next pieces. You know, we sort of talked about where we're at so far. What are you looking forward to? Brady, you've got the whole timeline in your head. You can talk to us about next features. I'll do what I can. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to websites being out of preview. Uh, yeah. I'm also looking forward to other services being out of preview. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Uh, we're all looking forward to the IaaS stuff. Uh, the number one thing on my list is I'm, I'm very excited about SSL coming to websites. I think that'll be a very, very, very good thing. Yeah, big deal, actually. That, yeah. that, that's that been a big thing missing so far. Right. But as long as you've been in preview, you've been able to get away with it. But please, you can't go public without it. Right. Well, we did just, we, we did just put out a workaround. Um, it's, it's basically like a cloud-fronted SSL reverse proxy forwarder. Not the best thing in the world. It's only a temporary workaround. Right. Uh, we do have SSL coming uh, very, very soon. Yes, I've told you that before, but but I'm doing the best I can. If I was if I was on the engineering team, I would be cracking the whip. But but believe me, Nir and and, and Yohai, that's their number one priority. They want to get it done, and they're definitely working towards it. And one of the complaints that I've had from people is, well, you just added this feature, you just added that feature, you just added this feature. Why haven't you added SSL? Because that team is working every day on getting it done. Right. These are other teams that are building all this other stuff around. And not only that, we have a lot of stuff coming from the from the tools side as well. Like, you know, Scott's team is always building awesome stuff in the tools world. Just released a new version of WebMatrix that makes that stuff even easier. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just going to keep getting better and better and making it easier and easier. So, Cool. Mm -hmm. Michelle, anything you're looking forward to? What are you going to do next? I'm looking forward to figuring out when is websites going to have everything WebRolls has so that I'm not going to have to ask all those questions anymore. Yeah, presumably that is you a can pain see those two things coming together. Have I made that clear? It's a pain point for me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but truthfully, you know, I think the DevOps stuff is really interesting to me because one of my biggest concerns having, having been through where, um, you know, things have gone down for me and I've had to figure that out. Well, number one, looking at logs helps, but I would rather be alerted about that. Okay. So, I mean, even if it's a third party, I'm fine with somebody. I was talking to Stackify, um, and they're sort of like Paraleap, right? So there's com some p competing between them, but they do monitor from outside. But what I like about what they're planning to do is they're planning to make it so that event logs, when there's an error, can SMS me or, or email me because I, I don't have to want to go 
you know, I don't want to have to go to my logs just to see if there's an error today. I want to be told when there's an error, you know? So I really need that. And then aside from errors, which is my logs, you know, obviously the outside notifications, getting all of that to be simpler. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that would be a huge story for Azure mm -hmm. because I think it's a place where Microsoft excels, making it easy for developers to do stuff they shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree. Well, the Wasabi stuff you showed today with all the email learning and everything, that was pretty hot. Uh, we just added the service bus notifications, so that's that's good stuff too. And then there's a lot of different notification stuff that's built into uh, WAMPs, so you can mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff in mobile services to do mm -hmm. SMSs and whatnot. And then you know, one of my favorite, probably my second favorite company in the world is Twilio. You know, you can Me access too. the Twilio API and just do whatever you want. Um, so. Love it, love Twilio. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yuval, what's your what's on your wish list? So, I've got two concerns as a wish list. The first concern is that. If you look at Microsoft, it's probably the single most creative company in the history of the world if you measure it via allocation of R&D budgets to market cap and such. I mean, it's unbelievable. And Microsoft was always had a cap on its ability to push its innovation because they could only do a release of Windows or Visual Studio every so often. And since the industry has also its ability to absorb new ideas capped by the inertia and legacy and all of that, there was some coexistence there. With Azure, the, all the limitation is off. I mean, they can quickly push releases and new ideas at a frequency which far exceeds the ability of the market to come up with it. And we are way beyond that tipping point. It's probably better off now to just wait another three releases that will happen next Wednesday and skip all that intermingling things, right? Right. And when, when the degree of churn is that high, People step back to say, oh, I mean, I don't know what's going on here. Right. right. So I don't know exactly what the answer is. Obviously, I like the innovation. Right. Okay. Right. But there, there has to be a way for these things to coexist. Right. The other thing, which is another concern, is it's related to privacy. And that is, I'd like to see the cloud vendors in the future provide an easy way for a complete double encryption or whatever the technology is so that if somebody decides to subpoena my data, whatever, there's no way they can force the cloud provider to give them my secrets, my data. Right. Right now, Patriot Acts or legal action and such, I'm totally exposed. I have no control over it. Well, in, if it's on premise, at least I can actually control it. Mm -hmm. Where's the search warrant? No search warrant, you're not getting my data. Right? Yeah, but we've also had incidences where uh, the FBI rolled into an ISP, just picked up all of the racks. Somewhere the perpetrator's machine was in there, but everybody right. else went along with, they cleaned them up. Exactly, but if there is a way for me say, to generate a certificate and then such that if somebody tries to get my data in the cloud, they cannot, right. but also a great bullet on a brochure for the vendors to say, look, you can press this button and then nobody in the world besides you can ever reach that data, right? That's a, that's a selling point, and, and I don't see that emphasis on privacy anywhere in any of the vendors. Mm -hmm. They're not just against Microsoft, mm -hmm. right? And that will probably also alleviate, you know, the data can't leave Canada concerned and such, right? Well, that sort of goes down your your other point of, you know, there being kind of a transparency between on-prem and, and, and cloud. Right, true. It would be great if you just had a button where everything just goes down to your on-prem and it locks. That would be that would be fantastic. I'll have to take that back to my people. Zoyner? So lots of really great ideas there, and I think the speed of change has been amazing, that Microsoft's speeding up to sort of a six-month cadence, mm -hmm. right? I think it's leaning even to closer to a three-month Quar cadence, yeah, quarters. right? Quarterly, so that's that's amazing. There are a couple things that I'm really looking forward to that are, have to be coming up would be the, the release of IaaS going to general availability to the virtual machines and the virtual network. It's a cool feature that most people don't play around with, but that allows you to establish a VPN with your cloud services 
and your services on-premise. Right. A really great cloud Just a continuously scenario. encrypted pipeline. Exactly. So I think that's super cool. And I think also I like to see this movement around scaling, right? Clouds, you know, even Azure launched, what, in 2008 PDC, right? With yep. uh, this whole promise of elastic scale, right? But to date, the promise of automated elastic scale is like, well, you go into the website, you drag a slider left and right, and that's your scalability story. Not something that's actively monitoring your infrastructure and saying, we're overloaded, you know, scale up, right? And I'm finding customers now not bothering with automated elasticity, just turning up the knob because latent instances don't cost that much. Busy instances cost. So light extra and pay that little, you know, insurance fee. Exactly. Exactly. So, so seeing what I'd like, what I sort of uh, coined as, you know, auto scale as a service. I'd right. love to see service providers offering that. It's an interesting challenge. It's certainly one that I'm, I'm interested in as well. Isn't there an API for that? Can we monitor the the you know the the traffic and and then automatically set that slider? Isn't that why? Why? Thank you. That was uh, one of my talks. <laughs> In fact, there is a technology called Wasabi Windows Azure Auto Scaling Application Block. Mm-hmm. Long name, but just search Wasabi, um, and it's a framework that you can use that will monitor uh, basically things like performance counters and then issue scaling requests accordingly. But it handles all of that complexity, like dampening scaling and up and down, so that so you're not we have going it. nuts. But it's it's something you have to implement and deploy and manage yourself. Yeah. Versus, I just want to say. This is the parameters for my scaling. Manage my infrastructure, please. Right. So it's not quite there. That's right. All right, guys. Thank you, Zoyner, Juval, Brady, Michelle. Big hand for our panelists. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a